couple things before we get into the teaching this morning. First one is on the board here, and it relates to uh, the trip to, to uh, Mexico, but it doesn't support the youth necessarily. actually supports Dora Faith directly. Uh, many of you have been down there. Some of you, I believe, sponsor kids from Dora Faith. But if you are an Amazon Prime member, Amazon uh, has an, an arrangement. They will donate a 1% of every purchase made back to a charity of your choice. If you just log into smile.amazon.com, and it's really easy. It just you just it's a couple steps. You set it up, and then uh, every purchase you make. And I don't know about you guys. I'm going to say the Amazon boxes show up at my house fairly regularly. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, but if you're an Amazon Prime member, this really is a great deal. You can go into the list of charities and choose one, and Dora Faith is there. Uh, and then they will donate 1% of all purchases back to Dora Faith. It doesn't cost you a dime. It's a commitment that they make. So that's just a, a cool way to give back and a way that Amazon is willing to give back. I would encourage you to do that. If you don't have another charity that you uh, already support or would like to support, then um, our friends at Dora Faith would certainly uh, appreciate that as well. And then I, I just want to take a minute and pray, if we can, before we get into it today. I was um, a little sad this week. I don't know. Maybe you guys are too. It's been a rough week in the United States of America. Uh, and, uh, you know, yesterday, or a couple days ago, there was this shooting at a synagogue in Pennsylvania. And the thought to me that people go to worship and, um, you know, that's what happens, is uh, just overwhelming. And I, I read today they released a list of those that were killed, and there were several elderly people, including a 97-year-old woman. And I think about a 97-year-old person who spent their whole life just going to church, going to synagogue, and then that's what happens. And so if you just take a minute and pray with me, I'd just like to ask God's blessing on the families there, and then just sort of for some healing and some restoration in our, our country. Lord, our hearts are heavy uh, to think of uh, people, regardless of uh, the form or style of worship or maybe different than being different than us, that people would have the freedom in this country to worship, but then that freedom would be taken from them. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just bring healing to these families, uh, to this community, to this church, uh, that you would cause your presence, the presence of your Holy Spirit to rest upon them. Pray, Lord God, that you would intervene in, in the um, division and the hatred that seems to be increasing almost daily in our nation and that you would bring uh, the peace of God to a place of uh, healing in this country again. We look to you, Lord, because we are convinced that there's really no other solution to this than the presence of God. Help us to walk in, with you and walk in you and to be representatives of you, that we would be agents of healing and agents of love and kindness and mercy and grace, uh, and that we would uh, speak truth and life into the hearts of people that we meet, especially, Lord, those that might be different than us. Thanks. Uh, we, we're going to continue. We've started, uh, if you haven't been with us, uh, studying the Gospel of Luke a few weeks ago. We're going to go straight through the book of Luke. And 
as previously mentioned, um, could take a while. It's okay. It's a good book. Um, last week, we were introduced to some characters uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke that play uh, key roles, at least in the early section of the book leading up to the birth of Jesus, but they uh, have a role throughout. One of those characters was uh, King Herod. Herod was a tyrannical, uh, very uh, self-important kind of megalomaniac, a very evil and very brutal leader who was ruling over Rome at the time of the birth of Jesus. Along with Herod, we were also introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who uh, really kind of stand uh, in contrast to Herod. They are an elderly Jewish couple, as it would be, who uh, are uh, given to worshiping God and living their lives out in the presence of God. Zechariah is a priest who serves in the temple, and beyond his service there, he and Elizabeth, were told, uh, were faithful and obedient to the law of God, and Scripture says they were blameless. I don't think that means they were sinless, but I think that does mean that they were really good people that they focused uh, the entire course of their lives on serving and loving God. And we know uh, as well that, that they're elderly. They've been around for a while and are beyond the age of childbearing and have no children. Um, we know that their story doesn't end there, that it continues. And so this morning we're going to pick up and I'm going to do just a couple verses again today, a real short passage, and talk a little bit about Zachariah's uh, service as a priest in the temple. Our title this morning is Smelling Good to God. Um, as we said last week, Zechariah is a descendant of Aaron. All of the descendants of Aaron were priests. He and Elizabeth both were descendants of Aaron, so they come from this long uh, priestly line and are dealing with the reality of that ending in their generation. Uh, there were 12 divisions of priests that would rotate, uh, taking turns serving in the temple. And um, once your division was picked, it was your week to serve, then lots would be drawn. It was sort of a random uh, selection as to who would actually go in and serve that day. There were two services a day, 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. You remember uh, in Acts, I think, Peter and John are going to the temple at 3 o'clock, the time of worship. And every day there would be two worship services at 6 in the morning, 3 in the afternoon. And the priests that had been selected would go in that day and would uh, light the incense in the temple. Um, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God, and he was chosen by lot. It was his turn, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, that's a little diagram of the temple, and that gray box kind of around the outside is what's called the outer court, and that's actually where people would come to worship. They weren't allowed to go any closer to God than that. The inner court, the white area, is where the priests would be. Uh, they were closer to God but on any given day, only one priest would go into the uh, holy place, into the altar, and light the incense. Uh, beyond the, the holy place is what's called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. And no one ever went in there except the high priest, and the high priest only went in there once a year. 
Um, but uh, the priest whose turn it was that day to serve in the altar would go in, he would light the incense, and then they would actually lay down in front of the altar. The Greek word is proskuneo, which you know means prostrate, but it's also the word that it's translated in English, worship. To lay before the altar of God was worship. And the priest would lay and he would pray this prayer. May the merciful God enter the holy place and accept with favor the offering of the people. That was the priest's job. Uh, the incense that the priest would light was representative of the worship of the people. The priest prayed and he made the offering, but he was there as a representative of the rest of the people. As the people, people gathered in the outer court to worship and pray, the smell of incense would kind of float out over, out of the altar into that area, and they would smell it, and that would be a sort of a reminder uh, uh, that they were there in the presence of God and to draw them into the presence of God. But the real purpose of the incense was for the Lord. It's a little bit like worship today. We come together and, and, and we want the worship team, they, they want to do a good job. They work really hard to do a good job. And we want to, we, we, there's certain songs some of us like better than others. And we all know that we, we have a role. We're part of the worship. But at the end of the day, what's it really about? It's really about God. And it was the same then. The people would smell the incense and they would be drawn into the presence and they, they would, uh, you know, participate. But they, they understood really the idea behind all that was that that incense was a pleasing aroma to God. In the uh, ancient world, smells were important. Smelling good was a virtue. It was also a commodity. It wasn't easy to smell good. It was not to be taken for granted. It's not like today. No right guard, no speed stick, no old spice, no axe body spray, just B.O. Lots and lots of B.O. Uh, there's no refrigeration. So if you were on the streets and you know there's markets and things and there would be you know, animals that were, they just hang chunks of meat that they're for sale. And I've been in some of these places today in other countries, just the guts and stuff is over the side, there's flies on it. And it, it, it's, it smells, man. It smells. It was a smelly, smelly place. You know, I mean, and, and really, no toothpaste, think about it. No toothbrush, uh, no toilet paper, okay? Toilet paper wasn't invented until 1857. This has nothing to do with scripture, but I just thought this is good information. <laughs> they used a uh, piece of bark or a stone. You know, that's not Charmin. Let's just say. Later, the, the uh, okay, so the, the public toilet situation it was an outhouse, but it was like a, 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 could be up to 100 stalls, and they were connected. There was no division between them. So yeah, I, I thought about it today. We get all up in arms. The men's bathroom, the women's bathroom, the transgender, who goes where, how do you do that? It didn't matter. You just go to a stall. person next to you was next to you. It didn't matter who it was, man, woman. They're just there. You do your thing. Uh, later, after the bark, uh, you know, they would, this is the, the improved version was a sponge on the end of a stick, and then you dip that in seawater, use it, and then you dip it back in the water and hang it up for the next guy or girl. This this is all real. This is real information. My point is that smelling good was a commodity. 
that it was not to be taken for granted. Perfume, uh, you remember when the woman went in and broke the bottle of perfume, on, rubbed it on Jesus, and the Pharisees complained. Do you remember what they said? We could have sold that for a year's wages. A year's wages for one bottle of perfume. Now you know why. Because things were stinky. So smelling good was important. Incense was a fragrance that drew the hearts of the people into the presence of God, into worship, but it was really for the Lord. Leviticus says uh, three times in chapter 1, it's a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And that phrase, an aroma pleasing to the Lord, is used in reference to worship over 50 times in the Old Testament. The worship of the people of God was a fragrant aroma that was pleasing to God. It smelled good to the people, and it smelled good to God. And think about it. There's, there's reality to that even in our day today, isn't it? Just smell, things that smell good are good, aren't they? Don't you like that? Uh, you know, I love it in the springtime when the roses bloom. You, you, you know, the first smell of rose, that is, it's such a subtle smell. You have to really try hard, but, man, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You walk into the kitchen something's cooking, you know, man, you, oh, it's going to be a good day. I like that. Donna has this one perfume I like. I won't tell you what it is, but it's good. It's nice. Smelling good is, is a good thing, you know, it's a, it's a good thing. The Old Testament was, Scripture tells us, a shadow of the reality. The worship that was taking place in the temple then is an image, a shadow of what happens today. The author of Hebrews says the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never be the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. The Old Testament was a shadow. It was a, it was a representative, a, a, some lesser than reality of what God wants to do in his people. In the New Testament, things change. There's a shift in what happens. We become the temple of God, don't we? Paul tells us that in Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from Christ? He's talking here about not defiling the temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells here. We're now the temple, so care for it. Don't defile the temple of God. Your body is the temple, and not only are we each individually the temple of God, but collectively we're also the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that y'all are God's temple? It actually doesn't say that. It says you yourselves, but isn't that y'all? There's a y'all in there. Y'all are God's temple. God's Spirit dwells in your midst. Don't you know that? God's Spirit dwells in your midst. And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. We together are that temple. We, we are the reality of the shadow that was in the Old Testament. And we all understand the difference between a shadow and a reality, don't we? A shadow is a, is a, a faint image. It's an outline. It's not three-dimensional. It's not full. There's... It's not everything it can be. In the Old Testament, everybody was outside. Only the priests could go in. And in, in the New Testament, we become that temple. 
in the Old Testament when the, uh, that one time a year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, they would wear bells on their robe, around the fringe of their robe, so that when they're walking around and they're performing their service, you could hear the bells ringing and you knew they were still alive. They also had a rope tied around their ankle. Because if the presence of God knocked them dead, nobody wanted to go in and get them out because they would get knocked dead. So the other priests would pull them out by the rope. But Paul says, now you're the temple of God. See, we have come from the place where we can't go into the temple to the place where we are the temple. We come to the place where we're no longer afraid of entering into the presence of God, but the presence of God enters into us. We are the reality of what God represented to us as a shadow in the Old Testament. Now it's, it's here, it's in us. The presence of God is in and with us. We become that temple all the time. All the joy, all the glory, all the peace of God now dwells inside of us. And that's something that we can hold on to, and we need to really grasp that today. Regardless of where we are, of what you're feeling, of, you know, we prayed this morning before service, no matter what condition you come in today and some of us are weak and some of us are tired and some of us are sick and maybe some of us are stressed out whatever it doesn't matter because you are the temple of God and the presence of God dwells in you and all of his peace is available to you this morning everything that God has is for you when Jesus died scripture tells us the curtain in the temple was torn in two by the power of God it was an immediate backstage pass the dividing wall that kept the people away from the presence of God was torn apart, and they were now given access. We no longer need a mediator. Now we come directly into the presence of God. So in the Old Testament, three things happened in the temple. Worship, prayer, and sacrifice. So as God's temple today, we can be confident that those same three things take place. Worship, prayer, and sacrifice. We've become the place where, uh, it, you know, it smells good to God. So, so uh, where am I going with this? If you're the temple, you should smell good. In a world of stinkiness, we should smell good. There's a difference between the temple of God and not the temple of God. Paul talks about it in Ephesians, and he says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus sacrificed himself as a fragrant offering, and there is a sacrifice to be made for us to be the temple of God. Paul says these behaviors, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, smell good to God. But these other behaviors, rage, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, don't smell so good. And you should get rid of those. So, <laughs> the question is, how do you smell? Smell check. Um, maybe, do we need a little freshen up? Do we need a little, uh, little spritz today? 
I think there's a sacrifice to be made for us to walk in that place where we are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in us and the peace and presence of God is real in us and that sacrifice might be that we have to give up some things. There's feelings of bitterness maybe that we carry with us. Um, There might be feelings of unforgiveness or maybe slander. We say things about other people. I don't know. Uh, but there, some of that needs to be uh, let go of. Sometimes we get hurt in the course of life. That's just the way it goes. And we have a choice to make at that point. Do we hang on to that and allow that to direct us, or do we let go of that and forgive and allow the presence of God in and let that direct us? That's really the question. Do we want to be the dwelling place of God? If we do, are we willing to let go of some of those things that have hurt us in the past? Steve, why don't you guys come up? I want to close today with worship and an opportunity for prayer, and I just want you to ask the question, do a little self-inventory and say, you know, how do I smell today? Is there something that you're holding on to that's keeping you from really enjoying the presence of God in your life? Is there, and, and I, I was just this week as I was thinking about this, I was focused, really felt like God was speaking to me about unforgiveness. If there's unforgiveness in our hearts today, it's just such a huge thing that holds us back. And we have the opportunity to make, and look, I get it. I, I would never diminish the pain anyone feels in their life over any situation that's ever happened, regardless of the nature of that. But I would say this, that you do have the option to say, I'm, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive that person. I'm going to give that up so that I can come into the presence of God today in a deeper and more real way. So why don't you guys stand? 